the glory forever. Amen. Great singing this morning already. Thank you all so much. Can you tell? Can you feel it? Right. It's been a buffet already. Because we've sang so well, I hope to finish uh, a series in the book of Acts uh, strong today. So I'm here to pump you up. And it's always great, uh, Len, you've been doing a great job with uh, our confession and absolution. I, I loved last week the uh, sitcom, but now the nightmares this week, I'm starting to get concerned, dude. I mean, are you okay? You know I love you. Let's finish strong in the book of Acts, a series entitled Sent, Dispatched Everywhere this morning. Acts chapter 28 Verses 28 to 31, I'll read the text and then we'll begin. Therefore, in light of all this, in light of everything that's been written before in the book of Acts, and in light of everything, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and peculiar enough, and they will listen. Okay, we'll come back to it. For two whole years, Paul, who's been imprisoned in Rome now, stayed there in his own rented house, and welcomed, great hospitality there, all who came to see him. Now check this out. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, the realm of God, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The reading of God's Word. Those last two verses sound a lot like something that we say around here, loving all people to life in Christ, relational, hospitality, relevant, bold. Did you hear it? The book of Acts certainly is about being relational and relevant and bold. But the book of Acts is also peculiar, at least at this moment in time, uh, as we complete the book of Acts, because here's why. There's no ending what happens to Paul in, over the course of these years? And then what happens after Paul? And what about the end of Paul's life? And what about the acts of the Holy Spirit? What, what about those who have been sent? What, what is being written still? So I have a good question for us this morning. Why is there no ending to the book of Acts? Rhetorical question. My response, the book is still being written. The acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the apostles, the acts of the peculiar people of God throughout all ages of history, His story, still being written, even today. Yeah, the acts of the Holy Spirit, they are still being written through the acts of the sent, those sent ones dispatched everywhere to everyone. Two thoughts for us this morning, and I hope by the end, if I do a good job, you'll be joining in with a couple of phrases. First of all, I wanted to bring our attention back to that first verse, uh, where Paul says, the gospel certainly is available to the Gentiles. In other words, we started with church people, we started in the synagogue, and we got kind of this mixed response. But the power of the Holy Spirit is, if folks don't listen, the Spirit still goes and grows and leads to flourishing salvation life. Right? 
I love the power of that text because when people really don't listen, the Spirit keeps going. The Spirit of God just keeps on moving and trucking and heading forward. Why? Because the acts of the Holy Spirit, they're still being written today. Now that's the bad news, and I don't want to spend any more time on the bad news. The good news of this text, secondly, is that when people do listen, the Spirit keeps on writing. When people listen to the Spirit of God, in and through Jesus Christ, to the glory of the Godhead who is the Creator, the Spirit of God keeps on writing the story. The Spirit of God keeps on writing the story. The acts of the Holy Spirit has no ending because the story is still being written. Remember Lydia a few chapters back? A purple textile entrepreneur in Philippi? She came to Christ late at night and she couldn't wait until the next day to have her family baptized. So she gathered all of her family up and they went down to this beautiful, if you've been there, a beautiful stream and had her entire household, the text tells us, baptized that night. Why? The acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written. In the third century, I want to share with you a story of a man named St. Alban. Alban was a non-believer. He was a Roman citizen. And there were priests that were fleeing for their lives. And for some strange reason, Alban took a priest who was fleeing for his life into his home and gave him sanctuary, protected him. And they developed a friendship. And through the course of this friendship, Alban, a pagan, non-believer, turned his life over to Christ. When the Roman soldiers came to Alban's home, former non-believer, now turned believer, the Roman soldiers were looking for the priest to arrest him. The fugitive priest to arrest him. And Alban, when he was examined by the Roman magistrate, swapped clothes with the priest. And he famously replied in priest's garb to protect the priest, a new Christian man himself. He said this, I am a Christian, and I stand ready to do my Christian duty. My name is Alban, and I shall always adore and worship the true and living God and not the Caesar. The acts of the Holy Spirit, they're still being written. Rowan Williams, in, his, in a great little book, and I, I borrowed quite a few of these stories from this book. It's entitled, Luminaries, 20 Lives That Illuminate the Christian Way. I found out the story of the life of Alban in this book. And the author writes this about Alban. He says, what does Christian duty look like when it's just more than loyalty to the system one is enculturated into? He says the Christian's duty is to the body of Christ. Not to the body of Christ as some sort of organized phenomenon that you can sign up for like you would sign up for a political party or a golf course 
or a chess club, but to a mysterious and living community whose fullness has not yet appeared. Christian duty and loyalty is not just to the people who happen to sit next to you right now, be with you here today, but to a future community in which all people, friends and strangers, have their place. Christian loyalty and Christian solidarity is being with and being for those who have not yet met, who we have not yet met, and a world we have not yet seen. Williams goes on, powerfully so. Alban, St. Alban later to be called, asked the body of Christ to be loyal, not only with people we haven't met yet, but also with people who don't particularly want to be with us. And with people we don't particularly want to be with us. And even people who don't want us to be for them. And yet, in the mysterious way in which the Holy Spirit of God continues to write the story, folks come together in strange ways that we could never script We could never imagine it. We could never manage for it. We could never strategically plan for that to happen. And yet, the work of the Holy Spirit is still being written in the lives of those whom are, what's our word? Sent. Thank you. Maybe it was Betty. And it was in English, not Espanol. How powerful, friends. Because in our day and age, we don't any longer know very obviously whose side we're meant to be on. Because the gospel seems to say uncomfortably so that the real answer is most obviously according to Jesus in the gospel. And Jesus' answer to the question, whose side should we be on? Everybody's side. At least in the sense that we're to stand alongside and to pray for and to give to and to be for all people. And my friends, very powerful in a world of xenophobia and homophobia and transophobia and suspicion and fear of the other and fear of the stranger, we're called to be for everyone like Albin was as a pagan non-believer who brought into his home a fugitive priest and was so profoundly transformed that he took on the life And the sacrifice that was due for a fugitive priest. My friends, the acts of the Holy Spirit, they are still being written today. How about William Tyndale? Anybody know William Tyndale? Famous for a translation of the Bible. And in his translation of the Bible, he translates Genesis like this. So the Lord was with Joseph, and you got to love this language, way back in the 16th and 15th century. Joseph was a lucky fellow. So the Lord was with Joseph after his brothers sold him into slavery, and Joseph was a lucky fellow. It's like Bart, Karl Barth's translation of the Beatitudes, you know, happy are those, blessed are those. Uh, lucky bums. We're lucky bums. Karl Barth. 
in a more recent century. I like that notion that we're all lucky persons, lucky fellows. Alfredo, you're a lucky fella. Matt, you too. Joanne, you're a lucky gal. <laughs> Dawn, you're a lucky gal. I'm a lucky gal. Every single Debbie, you're a lucky gal. Margo, you're a lucky gal. Right? We're all lucky. Why? God's for us. And not just us in this room, but every single person that walks and talks to the face of the earth, even to this day. The acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written, my friends. They truly are. How about St. Teresa of Avila? A mystic who pushed against the boundaries of a closed, an especially closed society in which the misogyny of the day meant that only men could be intellectual thinkers. She herself, a Jewish woman and a thinker, whose grandfather was in trouble during the time of the Spanish Inquisition, yet she fought and sought to create space for people to live in the community called the body of Christ, for there to be room for not just men intellectuals, but women who had a mind also. This pushed against the significantly closed family system. It exposed racial tensions. She desired one movement by the Holy Spirit of God in the realm of God. Her famous analogy of the four methods of irrigating the garden speaks volumes about a world divided needing to be irrigated by God. In her analogy, she says, there's four ways you can irrigate a garden. You can carry the water by hand. You can construct a water wheel. Or you can divert a stream to run by or in or through your garden. Or, fourthly, and I'm inclined to number four, although I've done all three of the first. You just wait for it to rain. <laughs> yeah, it's a long wait sometimes. You know, the first three of those methods, they need increasing levels of sophistication. But in the end, the best way to water your garden is to just wait for it to rain. To wait for the rain. Wait for God to send the rain so that the entire garden can benefit. Jew and Gentile. Male intellectual thinkers and females who have a brain also. Against a closed system that tries to hold folks down. My friends, the acts of the Holy Spirit, they're still being written to this day. William Wilberforce, one of the most powerful insights that he had was that injustice damages the oppressor spiritually as much as it damages the oppressed materially. I'm going to say that again. Injustice damages the spiritual soul of the oppressor as much 
as the oppressed is damaged materially. Hmm. Do we see that playing out in our cultural context today? Because an unjust system not only destroys the life of the oppressed in the short run, it does irreparable damage to the soul of the collective nature of the oppressor in the long run. And so you can't separate personal justice with social justice. In other words, if a Christian can't keep before the eyes of the state and its legislatures issues that are greater than self-preservation, security, and a thriving market, then who in God's name can and or will even give it a shot? And on his deathbed, you know how the story goes. There's a book, or my preference, there's a movie. (laughs) On his deathbed, he got word that slavery in Britain and his struggle for freedom had ended. And it was in an attempt to save the spiritual soul of a nation. The acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written. Would you agree? How about Florence Nightingale? Anybody ever heard of Florence Nightingale? Who said woohoo? My wife? Woohoo to you, baby. A nurse in Victorian society, don't take a nap. A luminary then, as much as we need now, bringing light into very dark places. It's easy to love humanity, she said, but it's very, very difficult to love particular people. She said you love humanity by loving, attending to, and seeing every single particular human being. Every single one. Each with a name, each with a story, each with a struggle. Each with a life that is worth living. For her, love for humanity meant to love every human being by casting light on every individual, the particular need of the person, this patient, not to generalize it and stigmatize it, but to attend to, to look at each person through the eyes into the soul like Christ does. When people grow into that type of love for humanity and love for each person, God changes people. The acts of the Holy Spirit, they're still being written. Here's one I guarantee you, you've never heard of. Sergei Bulgakov. Sergei Bulgakov, his letters and essays were delivered hand-to-hand in Soviet Union on the backdrop of pure secular socialism and world war. 
He saw, the power of his argumentation was that he saw an interweaving between politics, art, and liturgy. He said that there's always more to politics than just politics. There's always just, there's more to art than just art. There's always more to worship than just worship. Politics, according to Sergei, seeks to transform the relationships between people and between social groups. Art seeks to transform the, the material stuff of the world and make it beautiful. And liturgy, worship, in which human beings invite God to transform the entire place in which they live, both inside and outside. He postulates that each one dries up without the other. A politics that's only politics ends up in managerial tyranny or worse. Art for the sake of art ends up in bougie, I just want to say bougie in church, short for bourgeois, dilettantes who never really make a difference. Liturgy without politics and art isolates the vital presence of the body of Christ in the midst of the world from the real concerns of people, so much so that people get afraid of the outside world and they hide inside four walls. But if you bring them together, Sergei postulated, and you understand what the church is, the church, the community of the new creation, is a, mo a momentous movement of the realm of God where the political, the creative, and the spiritual are fused together so that there is something utterly and completely new and different unfolding before our very eyes. And these stories I tell you today are the ways in which that in truly fact happens. The acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written today. How about Edith Stein? Anybody heard of Edith Stein? Hang with me. Are you inspired? I've been really pumped about this this week. Edith Stein knew that the conflict in Germany in the 1930s was not about what we may think it was about. She believed the conflict in Germany in the 1930s was about one question. Who is Lord? Caesar or the Lord God Almighty? A Jewish woman had that primary understanding. At the moment of her arrest, she was summoned to the convent parlor by the Gestapo, the SS Commandant, who greeted her in the traditional way, Heil Hitler. She replied, you got to love this story, she replied to the Commandant, the same way she greeted her sisters for breakfast every single morning in the convent. She said, Jesus Christ, be praised. She was arrested. She had a flourishing ministry in Auschwitz. People that survived Auschwitz spoke about her ministry in Auschwitz until her life was taken. 
eat a stein. <laughs> Understood the lordship of Jesus Christ in a world that stopped making sense. The acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written today. How about Martin Luther King? Anybody heard of him? I have a dream reverberated then. We need to resurrect it now. I have a dream. The acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written. Mother Teresa, her work in India began in Calcutta and now has been replicated around the world. I've been to a Sisters of Charity center in Nairobi, of all places. I toured inside and I walked up to the, as I walked up to the gate to go inside, there was a line of about eight people standing at the gate and I was curious about this. When I went inside, I asked, why are those people lining up outside the gate? And they said they're waiting for room in one of our beds to open up so that they can be administered in or, or admitted in so that they too can die with dignity. By the way, in the, in the whole place, it was filled with various age groups, children on up. Each twin bed didn't hold one human being, it held two. The acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written. Bishop Oscar Romero coined the phrase, feeling with the church, which came to mean sharing the agony of Christ's body that was oppressed and that was being oppressed and raped and abused by perhaps the most ruthless governments in the Western Hemisphere. He was a true friend of the rich and the poor. He believed deep down, and I do too, that the sheep and the wolves ought to eat from the same dish. On one occasion, he flew back into the airport, returning from a trip, an airport official saw him walking by, and as Oscar Romero passed, the airport official said it very loudly. He said, there goes the truth. I can't think of a better tribute to a Christian human being. You want to say this with me? The acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written today. You see, in the book of Acts, Jesus at the beginning ascends. He's no longer here on earth, but He is not gone. The Holy Spirit arrives with the momentum of ascent movement that says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit enters you. You will be my faithful witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The text reads like this in my version for us today. You, Placentia Presbyterian Church, will receive power when the Holy Spirit enters you, and you will be my faithful witnesses in Placentia, Placentia, Brea, Anaheim, Fullerton, Yorba Linda, wherever your feet will take you. If you listen, it will be so. If you don't listen, that's okay. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit goes around. And keeps working. Why? Why? You can join me if you want. The acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written. Do you believe it? 
Thank you, two of you do. (laughs) I'm not done yet. Give me a couple more minutes and then we're going to sing. You know, back in 1912, I think that's the correct date, although I got to tell you, I didn't fact check it. Somebody here will. A group of people got tired of driving their horse and buggy over to First Presbyterian Church in Fullerton, California, and they said, we're going to plant a church in Placentia, California. That was in 1912. The commute was horrible. (laughs) Why? Because the Acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written. And they planted a church and it met in some building in old, old Placentia downtown bank. I don't know what it was. Upper floor. It's the oldest church in town even to this day. The Acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written. And then in the mid, mid-1900s, a guy named George Key, a, a, a fella, some of you may know, he was the world's, or at least PPC's, primary evangelist. New people, half of you here probably knew George Key and came because of him. Plenty of folks, plenty of students. Why? The Acts of the Holy Spirit, they're still being written. Soup kitchens and charities, uh, clothes closets, lending libraries, his house. Why? Because the Acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written even to this day. Friends, what's the next chapter of PPC? We get to write that chapter together. Why? Because the Acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written today. They are. Will you stand with me? And say that with me one more time. This is important, my friends. This is not a pep rally. I am not a high school teacher. I am not a politician running for office. This is a stronger message than we're going to hear on any cable news channel ever. The acts of the Holy Spirit are still being written today. Do you believe it? Amen. Now, keep standing because we're going to sing some more, I think. That was my way to help you out, Len. Sounds like you had a rough night with your dream language last night. Come on up, you guys, and lead us. <laughs>